0: You're listening to a podcast brought to you by the teaching team at New Life in North Lincolnshire. New Life is committed to helping transform people and transform places through the love and power of Jesus Christ. We hope you in some small way will be blessed and transformed by this message. As a father to a now three-year-old, I love the fact that sermons get introduced starting with My Little Pony. It's just like, it's one of my favorite things about New Life on a Sunday morning. Every week it gets me. I'm like, this is so good. So in the beginning, the very beginning, not the beginning of our service, in the very beginning of time and space, the Bible tells us that God created both the heavens and the earth. And he said that when he began this process, the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God was hovering. Over the water, I couldn't really think of a better place to start a sermon for baptisms than right back at the very beginning with the spirit, that picture of a dove hovering over the waters. Did you know that throughout the scripture, throughout the Bible, the imagery of water is used to denote aspects of chaos, of uncertainty, of turmoil? And I just love the fact that at the beginning of time and space, You have this picture of the Spirit of God hovering over chaos, over turmoil, over trauma, over uncertainty, over the things in life that may seek to do us harm. If you fast forward in the story a few hundred years, you have the people of God enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh. And a leader is raised up, a man named Moses, to lead them from slavery into freedom so that they would learn to worship God. What an amazing thing. It's not just that they would be free from slavery, as good as that may be, but free for the purpose of worship and of following. And so Moses leads these people out of Egypt. God delivers them in a mighty way with signs and wonders and demonstrates his power and his glory for the people to see. Because here's the thing, their forefathers had learned to follow him. But for 400 years, these people had been enslaved in a nation. And so the only knowing of this God is that he was the God of their forefathers. The God of yesterday, the God of what had been. But what they needed to learn was that he was the God of today. The God who could lead them Forwards. And so you see this amazing story play out in the first few chapters of the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus. We're going to pick the story up in Exodus 14 in a moment. But God delivers them in a powerful way, huge signs and wonders, so that they would be able to live with confidence and certainty that not just God was real, but he was for them. That he wanted the best for them. He had a purpose and a plan, as Elena has said already for them, to lead them not only into freedom, but into a life where they may be free to worship. And so you would kind of think, wouldn't you, that if you'd been enslaved, and I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb and assume that the majority of us in this room haven't been, I wanna leave that door open, but I'm gonna assume that most of us haven't experienced slavery personally. Of course, we know that slavery still happens in the world today, but you would imagine that if people were released from slavery, In the way that the people of God were, they would live the rest of their lives with a quiet, confident certainty and trust in God. You may know your Bible well enough to know that that's not the way that this story plays out. But here's the thing. We're going to pick up the story where they are on the banks of the Red Sea. They've been led, interestingly, coming back to what Paul Sillibon said earlier, they've been led now, for a number of weeks, if not months, by a pillar of fire by day, a uh, pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. Right? So they've got this real visible. So not only if they have visible signs of God's existence and His power and His majesty and his glory, through the signs and wonders experienced in Egypt, they've had a pillar of fire and smoke. Real visible, placed in front of them, leading them in the ways that they should go. But they don't necessarily know the destination. All they know is that God's going to lead them into a land where they'll be able to become a people who can worship him in freedom and in truth. But it's a land that none of them have ever been to. They know that their forefathers came from there, but none of them in living memory have ever seen it. And so God leads them in a visible, obvious, pillar of fire kind of a way, as a way of developing confidence and trust and certainty in this God as he leads them out of everything they have known into everything that he desires for them. It's an incredible story, isn't it? And so here we find the people of God stood on the banks of the Red Sea with the armies of Pharaoh closing in Behind them. And in a very real sense for the people of God, as they fled from Egypt, between death and life stood water. Between death and life for them in a very real, very tangible, very physical way, between death and life stood water. But this story is played out within the lives of people of faith over the last two and a half thousand years, right? with baptismal candidates approaching the waters of baptism. Now, it may not be as vast as the Red Sea, but for each and every one of us, whether you've been baptized or you're being baptized today, at the moment where we approach, I'm going to approach the space where the water is going to be shortly. Um, I'm relieved that it's not open yet because I've nearly fallen in a couple of times on messages like this. But as they approach the waters, with everything that has been, everything that has led them to this moment, all of the highs and the lows, all of the times of uncertainty, all of the trauma and the turmoil and the chaos and the things that the water represents. And they enter down into all of it. And they are fully submerged. And for a moment, everything goes quiet. before there's a big intake of air and a massive round of applause, and they come up out of these waters and step into life. So as we come to our baptisms later on in the service, I want us to hold this story in our heads, because you see it played out through time and space, and the later authors of scripture put it a little bit like this. So Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome, he says, We are those who have died to sin, and so how can we live in sin any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We, therefore, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, so that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we may live a new life. Paul connects the story of the people of God in the Exodus. In their baptism experience of passing through the Red Sea. Of being led out of the waters on the other side and into a life. Where they may not experience not only worship but the freedom to worship. And Paul frames it within the same context. The same things. We have been bound in slavery to sin. We have. We feel... Remnants of that, even those of us who have been baptised, we still feel the, we still experience sin, don't we? Or is it just me? (laughs) We experience these things on a daily basis. And at baptism services, I love to come before God again and remind myself that this is the story I was baptised into. This is my story. This isn't just a story of what happened to the people of God thousands of years ago. This is my story because I've been baptised. And so this is the story that I've been baptised into. I have been crucified with Christ through baptism, Paul says in Galatians. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who demonstrated his love for me in this, that he died for me. I could come up with all sorts of fancy words to talk about this story, but I don't think I'd ever put it better than that. (laughs) Being able to stand in confidence and say that I have died. The sin, the turmoil, the chaos that was born inside of me has been crucified with Christ. I don't know whether you know what crucifixion's for. I mean, not now, what it was for then. In one sense, it was to execute those who stood against sort of, the political powers and parties of its day. It was a tool, right? But in another sense, it's crucifixion is a really inefficient way of killing somebody. Like, There's way quicker ways to do it. What crucifixion does is it suspends hope <laughs> for the world to see, and then slowly but surely removes the life from it. It's a really slow way to kill somebody. If you wanted to efficiently kill somebody in the first century, there were ways of doing it, as there are in our day. Crucifixion is a way of slowly extracting the life from something. and I find this really curious when we think about the ideas of baptism, and when we think about the ideas of sin and of death and of being crucified with Christ, and, and how we still experience the realities of sin in our lives even after we've been baptised. It's because the old man is slowly dying. It has been crucified and still is being crucified with Christ. It's a slow process. That slowly extracts the life from everything within us that needs to die. Everything that we need to leave in the waters of baptism. The things of our life that have got us this far but we cannot take any further. Maybe unhealthy habits, habits of addiction, of ways of managing stress, lifestyle choices we might call them. But of course, in baptism our lifestyle changes. And so some of the things that have led us this far and have served us even in slavery have no place in a land of freedom. And you see this played out in the story of the Exodus with the people of God. They leave slavery physically. But the mentality of slavery takes 40 years for God to get out of the people. In fact, the people were so stiff necked and stubborn, the Bible says. It's a great description of people, isn't it? Stiff necked and stubborn. Anybody? No, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you're stiff necked and stubborn here this morning, but I'll put mine up in your stead. Um, So I would consider myself to be a stiff necked and stubborn human being. I would like to say that I'm not, but let's be honest. Um, Most of us are. And so stiff-necked and stubborn were the people of God as God led them, even in signs and wonders and in majesty and power, into a land of freedom. They were so stubborn they could not live with it. And as they come into this new land, as they continue to be led visibly by God, the people begin to grumble because they're like you and me. And they like a good moan every now and then. And at the moment where things seem most uncertain, God, we know what you've led us from, but we don't know where you're leading us to. We just feel like we're wandering around here. God, where's this all going? Anybody this side of baptism feel like that sometimes in your journey with Jesus? God, I know where you've brought me from. If you could let me know where we're going, that would be really helpful, right? And just at this precise moment in time, The people say this to Moses. It says this. So Exodus 16 says this. On the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. So two weeks. Two weeks later, the whole congregation of Israel set out from Elam and came into the desert. And there in the desert, they all grumbled against Moses. That's a bad day. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt... In Egypt, we sat by pots of meat and ate our fill of bread. But you have brought us into this desert to starve. God, what are you doing? And where are we going? If it was your desire, God, to lead us into the desert to die, would it not have been more efficient, God, to have left us in slavery where we were doing a perfectly good job of dying of our own accord? Thank you. And the people grumble at God and they say, God, what are you doing? Where are we going? And I wonder whether anybody here feels like this this morning. God, I know what you've brought me from. I thought I knew what you were leading me into. I thought that would be a land of freedom, a land flowing with milk and honey, the land of my forefathers, the land that had been promised to my descendants. I thought I knew where we were going. But there's a lot of sand, God. And there's not as much food as we thought there was going to be. We had food when we were slaves. They looked after us. Because, you know, we worked hard for them. And yet having been led into a place of freedom, I wonder whether we yet have the skills to inhabit that freedom. So whether you've been baptized before or you're getting baptized today or you'd like to consider being baptized, being baptized in the future... Maybe you have a sense of certainty over what God has saved you from. You've known the land of Egypt, the land of slavery, whether that be enslavement to addiction or to unhelpful or destructive habits, toxic relationships perhaps, or less than ideal family circumstances, whether that be being saved from a 70-80 hour work week. And the jostling for social sort of power and status. God, I know what you've saved me from. And I think I know where you're leading me to. But would you show me the way? Maybe that can be our prayer this morning. But I've got a working theory about why it is that we find it so hard to let go of some things, even after being baptised. Even having declared in the waters of baptism that I, the person who lived has now died. That he is no more. We become really attached to the things in our lives that have served us well. Really attached. They become ingrained in us. They become part of us. Part of who we are. And even as our worldview changes, as our view of right and wrong changes, as things shift for us, we still find these things reoccurring in our lives. And I've always wondered why that is. Because I believe, I fully believe, that when I pass through the waters of baptism, I let some things lie and stay in the waters. These things are dead to me. And yet I keep seeing them crop up. Why is that? I think sometimes we drag them back up to check if they're still breathing. Is it? it, Oh, oh, no, it still is. Okay, we'll put that back down again. It's almost like we administer first aid to the dying part of ourselves. (laughs) We go, oh goodness, he's nearly dead. We better do some CPR and bring him back from the brink. Because there's something safe. It feels like there's something safe. There's something known about that part of us. There's something in us that finds it really hard to let go of the old and to just let it die. I know that's been my experience this morning. Maybe that's been yours as well. I love baptism services. As Ross said at the beginning, I can think of very few better ways to start a year than determining to set our steps in line with his plans and baptism is the best example of that, as is dedications. They're two hugely important parts of of the life of a a follower of Jesus. So in a few moments we are going to baptise some people this morning, and I can't wait, I'll probably cry, because it means everything. There is no better expression of the story of Jesus being played out in somebody's life than the moment they are baptised because this is the whole story. We may repeat parts of it over the course of our following with Jesus where we go, no God, please God, help me to leave that and let that lie. We come back to our own baptism story of death and resurrection time and time again. but if following Jesus were going to be like a movie, like a full fincher length, Lord of the Rings three-part, nine-and-a-half-hour gig, this would be the trailer. The whole story wrapped up into 30 seconds, compressed down, so that we have something that we can hook that whole story on. That when we feel like we've lost our place, we can come back to the advert, and we go, oh, yeah, okay, this is where we are now. Baptisms are almost like the contents page of the book of following Jesus. When we seem to lose our place in the story of God, we can come back to the contents page and find our place. Ah oh God, I know where I am now. I may not know where you're leading me. I may not know what that land looks like, but I know where I am now. And I'm gonna to trust today and every day that you will lead me with one more step given me just enough as Paul said at the start of our service just enough to be able to lead me in confidence and in trust into that next step why don't you close your eyes I'd love to pray for us Lord Jesus we thank you for the gift of baptism we thank you for the grace that it is in our lives for the constant and continual reminder for us as a people of faith as a, as a church as a community that this is our central story this is it there is no other story that we choose to live our lives by there is no other symbol that holds higher place within the life of faith we thank you for the confidence that it gives us we thank you that when we feel like we've lost our way with you In our following of your Son Jesus, that we can come back to our own baptism story, the story of death and resurrection, and we can find ourselves again. But more than that, Lord Jesus, I pray for every person here, for the relative chaos or uncertainty they may feel in their own lives, for the turbulence of the waters Of their everyday. And I pray that as we watch our baptismal candidates be baptized today, that your spirit would begin to hover again over those waters of chaos. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from New Life in North Lincolnshire. To find out more, do visit us online at newlifechurch.uk or why not pay us a visit? We'd love to see you.